Praise the Lord, everybody. It is good to see you on this morning. It's good to be alive this morning. Amen. Here in the city of Columbus, that seemingly is not a guarantee. But we're so thankful to the Lord that he has kept us safe, covered us, and blessed us with life, put air in our lungs that we might have the capacity to breathe this morning. So I, I have to say thank you, Lord. I want to salute uh, the churches in Kenya, in Africa, uh, that have come alongside us and are working with us to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, my uh, friend, Pastor Bernard uh, Majero and uh, Bishop Ogoa, uh, both in Kenya. We thank the Lord for both of them. Uh, our sister church there, Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center, Kenya. We thank the Lord for them. We are in constant conversation back and forth, and they are doing wonderful things there. And I ask uh, those of you that um, listen to us regularly that you would take time out and pray for them, pray for the ministries there, pray for these two men of God that are uh, leading these people to the knowledge of Christ. They tune in regularly to hear what the Lord is saying here, and we thank the Lord for them. So please continue to remember them in your prayers and um, think of a way that you might be able to be a blessing. We're, we're just excited about what God is doing. God is doing great and marvelous things in our midst. I also want to take a moment just to celebrate my wife, just for a moment. Let me just be a husband for a second. Uh, those of you that know me know that there's a lot that I'm involved in, both in the church and outside of the church. I'm constantly going from here to there, and um, much of my secular uh, world has been um, extremely busy uh, with the things that I do outside the church. And I want to take an opportunity to just salute my wife and say thank you. I appreciate all that she does to make GMFC Studios and Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center ministries um, thrive. Everything that she does behind the scenes that nobody sees, I want to be able to bless her and, and just say thank you to her. I love her and I appreciate her. And honey, your work does not go unnoticed. Greatly appreciate it. I also want to take, take a moment just to thank God for this opportunity to reach into your homes, to uh, speak with you today, to share with you the Word of God. I'm so excited about what God has um, been sharing with me. If you remember on last week, we were talking um, about the, the parts of the body. That when, we, when we read the scripture that uh, in this earthen vessel is housed the excellency of the power of God, we talked last week about what that actually means. Um, where the excellency of the power of God, this hidden treasure that is in us, well, where is it? And how, how do we access it? How can we apply, you know, that treasure to our lives and through our lives to be a conduit of God's grace into the lives of others? And we begin to talk about that. And um, even in, in further study, I told you I would go deeper into this. In further study, I, I was... At one point, listening to the Lord and, and reading the word and, and, and studying and meditating, going back and forth. And I was in my mind going like, wow, like, I, like, like, slow down, God. Like, you know, I'm having a hard time keeping up. And I want you to know today that I'm going to slow down for you because I know that I'm often accused of 
being in the same sense of talking a million miles a minute while at the same time trying to express a lot of information. I'm always wanting to give as much as I can in the time that I'm given. But today I want to slow down a little bit because I know that when I begin to talk deeper about the parts of the vessel, we were created as vessels and vessels are created to contain something and we contain something awesome. I mean, something really wondrous, really beyond our comprehension, if we're going to be honest, what we contain. But I want to talk to you about it and the reflection, what it is to be the image of God. And as we begin to deal with this today, I promise if, uh, if, you, if you start to get a little lost, that's okay. By the end of this, you'll get it. I promise you by the end of this, you'll get it. And if you have to go back and rewatch it, rewatch it. Rewatch it in uh, context to previous sermons that I have taught on this topic because it's really important that you get this. This is one of the things the enemy fights so hard against the body of Christ of understanding because if you begin to understand this, if you begin to understand your inward and your hidden parts, huh, let me tell you, there's nothing the enemy will be able to do to you and, and that's what he's afraid of. So today I want to uh, discuss with you in detail the vessel of the Lord, which is us. Now, last week I, I showed you that we were created purposely. God did it not, not you know, by accident, but he did it by design to be the containers of God. The fullness of God is contained in us. And having God himself as the embodiment of content. And for, and for this purpose, God has created us with many parts. Now, do not think that the term parts originated with me because it, it really didn't. I'm not describing uh, us as parts, but I'm actually referring to what the Lord himself declares in his word concerning us. Uh, God says in Jeremiah 31 and 33, I will put my law in their inward parts. Now, those inward parts are within our soul. They are not the outward members of our body. And God also says that he will write his law upon our heart. So then this really leaves uh, the question floating in our minds, or at least as I was studying this, it was floating in my mind. Well, what are the inward parts? And what is the heart if it's separate from those? So if we compare... Jeremiah 31 and 33 with a quotation that we find in Hebrews 8 and 10 I will impart my laws into their into their mind we'll begin to see a slight but very important variation in the text now Jeremiah says in their inward parts but Hebrew renders it into their mind so this comparison proves that the mind is one of the inward parts. Now, the term inward part is used uh, in the scriptures more than one time. It's actually used quite often. For example, Psalms 51 and 6 says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward parts. So then this tells us that the inward parts of man must have truth. Now, besides the inward parts, there's another part in this psalm called the hidden part. 
It goes on to say, and in the hidden part, you would make known wisdom to me. So the truth is in the inward parts, but wisdom is in the hidden part. So we need to find out then really what are these inward parts and what is this hidden part that is in us if we are ever to fully understand ourselves as being the vessels or the carriers of God. So there are three parts of the body. There's three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body. Now, some passages to which I will refer to are very familiar. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 is a verse indicating that we are uh, tripartite uh, or of three parts beings, the spirit, the soul, and the body. So as an expression of uh, the image of God, we reflect God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in our uh, body, soul, and spirit. Hebrews 4 and 12 also mentions the spirit and the soul and the dividing of these two parts um, you know, by the power of his word. And if we would know Christ and enter into him as the good land and that land of rest that we so greatly need, we have to then discern the spirit from the soul. You see, the spirit is the very place where Christ dwells in us. So if we would know Christ in an experiential way, if we're going to experience him, we have to discern our human spirit from our soul. So this verse mentions the difference not only between the spirit and the soul, but also between the joints and the marrow of the body and between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, the living word of God is a discerner of all of these things. And this proves to us that if we are going to know the Lord in a very practical or keeping it 100, a very real way, we have to discern all of these parts that are mentioned in Scripture. So what are the thoughts of the heart and the uh, intentions of the heart? How many parts are there in the heart? Is it just one or multiple? Well, let's go to the word of God. In Luke 1, 46 through 47, the soul and the spirit are distinguished as separate uh, parts. Philippians 1 and 27 says that we must stand firm in one spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but the human spirit is what it's referencing there and strive together with one soul. So again, this verse shows that there is a difference between the spirit of man and the soul of man. Let me just give you another one. Mark 12 and 30 says this, you shall love the Lord your God from your whole heart and from your whole soul and from your whole mind and from your whole strength. So here we find four different parts. The heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. Now, if we put all of these verses together, we will realize that there are quite a number of different parts within us besides the many parts of the body. 
And it's important that we understand what in the ham sandwich is going on inside of us. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. Because this indicates that we are spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. And Psalm 51 reveals the inward parts with the hidden part. The inward parts of the body, of the soul, which is proved by comparing Hebrews 8 and 10 with Jeremiah 31 and 33, where, the, where their mind is quoted as a variation of the inward part. So just as the inward parts must be the parts of the soul, the hidden part must then be a part of the spirit. So of all of our parts, the spirit then is the most hidden part that is within us. This inmost part is not only hidden within the body, but is even hidden within the soul. So there are the outward parts of the body, the inward parts of the soul, and the hidden part of the spirit. I know, I know. You're like, what the what? Some of you may be scratching your heads right now, and I feel you. Because I was like, wow, when I was studying this and having my mind truly blown by what God was showing me in Scripture. Stay with me, though. Stay with me. It's going to make sense by the time I'm finished, I promise. Just open your heart and your mind to hear from the Lord. So let's talk about these three parts of the soul. And the three parts of the soul, and I want you to write this down because this is paramount for you to remember. The three parts of the soul are mind, will, and emotion. Now understand, today I'm not preaching, today I'm teaching. The three parts of the soul, it's important that you understand what these three parts are. The mind, the will, and emotion. So there are these three parts to the soul, the three parts uh, to the spirit. And we have to discover what these three parts of both the soul and the spirit are. We have to also define what the heart is. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do to you today or do for you rather today. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 indicates that we are, uh, again, uh, beings of three parts or tripartite is what the official terminology is or the theological terminology is, tripartite, being of three, spirit, soul, and body. But it does not mention the heart. So what then is the heart? And how can we relate it within the context of the inward parts and the hidden part? I'm glad you're thinking along those lines. God's word proves clearly and definitely that the soul is of three parts. The mind, the will, and the emotions. Now, I always tell people, you know, validate what you're hearing and understanding according to the word of God. Use the word of God to support what you're hearing. Proverbs 2 and 10 suggests that the soul needs knowledge. Proverbs 24 and 14 and uh, 19 and 2 in the King James Version also suggests that the soul needs knowledge. And since knowledge is a function of the mind, this proves that the mind is a part of the soul. 
all three of these verses from Proverbs tell us that we need to have knowledge in the soul. Then Psalm 139 and 14 says that the soul knows. And to know anything is a function of what? The mind. This again proves that the mind is a part of the soul. Psalm 13 and 2 says that the soul considers or takes counsel, which again refers to the process and function of the mind. Lamentations 3 and 20 indicates that remembrance is of the soul. That is, the soul can remember things. So from these verses, we can see that there is a part in the soul that knows, that considers, and that remembers. This part is called the mind. The second part of the soul is the will. So Job 7 and 15 says that the soul chooses. Job 7 and 15 indicates that the soul makes choices. And to choose something is a decision that is made because of the act of your will. And this proves that the will must then be a part of the soul. Job 6 and 7 says that the soul refuses. To choose and to refuse are both functions of your will. First Chronicles 22 and 19 says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. So just as you set uh, your mind to think, so we also set our soul to seek after. And this, of course, the soul making a decision which proves that the will must be a part of the soul. Then in Numbers 30, Binding one soul is mentioned 10 times. And when we read this chapter, Numbers 30, and I encourage you to take some time to read it. When we read this chapter, we begin to understand that to bind the soul is to make a decision. It deals with a vow that is being made with God. And to make a decision to bind the soul is to make a vow to the Lord. So it is again proven that the will must be a part of the soul. Psalm 27 and 12, Psalm 41 and 2, and Ezekiel 16 and 27 translate the Hebrew word soul as will. Now the prayer made by the psalmist is, do not give me over to the will of my adversaries. Now, if you look at it in its original uh, writing, in the original, it means do not give me over to the soul of my adversaries. So these two translations prove clearly that the will must be a part of the soul. Now, here's that part that really uh, messes folk up. This, this is that part that we really wish we could get under control, but oftentimes it's, <laughs> whew, it's way out of control. And sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. You guessed it. It's the emotions. So the emotion is the third part of the soul. And with the emotion, there are many aspects. Let me give you some examples. Love, hatred, joy, grief, and so many more. And all of these are expressions 
of our emotion. So references to love are found in 1 Samuel 18 and 1 and uh, Song of Songs 1 and 7 and Psalms 42 and 1. And these verses show that love is something uh, that's in the soul, proving that within the soul there is such an organ or a function as emotion. Now, if you look at hatred, I want to point out 2 Samuel 5 and 8, Psalms 107 and 18, and Ezekiel 36 and 5. These passages indicate that hatred is again something of the soul, since hatred is an expression of emotion. So these verses prove that emotion must be a part of the soul. Ezekiel 36 and 5 uh, is better translated uh, to us uh, using the expression despising in their soul. It means the dislike or the hatred of the soul. Joy is an element of emotion as well. It's also part of the soul. If we look into Isaiah 61 and 10 or Psalms 86 and 4, we'll find that again it proves that emotion is part of the soul. Then there is the uh, matter of grief. This is mentioned in 1 Samuel 30 and 6 and in Judges 10 and 16. Grief is but another expression of the soul because it is an expression of emotion. Another aspect is desire. 1 Samuel 20 and 4, Deuteronomy 14 and 26, Ezekiel 24 and 25, Jeremiah 14, uh, 44 and 14. And just like Ezekiel 24 and 25 and Jeremiah 44 and 14, the right meaning is reached. If we look at the American Standard Version, it becomes validated looking and using within context the, the young or the strong's concordance. Desire, an element of emotion, is shown by these verses to be in the realm of the soul. So these verses then begin to establish the ground to verify the three parts in the soul. What are those parts? The mind, the will, and emotion. So in the scripture, it is difficult to find any additional parts of the soul. These three parts cover all the functions indicated in scripture connected with the soul. Now, the mind is the leading part, followed by the will, and then the emotion. Now, these are the verses which best reveal what the three parts of your soul are. The mind, the will, and your emotions. So then, what are the three parts of the spirit? Well, it's interesting to note that there are three persons of the Godhead... Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three parts of man's being, three inward parts of the soul, and you guessed it, three parts of the spirit. And all are in sets of three parts or three manifestations. The scriptures also reveal three parts of the tabernacle, the building of God. Three then is the basic figure or the basic number. Even in Noah's Ark, there were three levels. With the tabernacle, 
The number three is found many times and used many times in connection to it. For example, the width of one board is one and a half cubits. So when two boards are joined as a pair, the total width is then three cubits. This tells us that the number three is a whole unit. So the spirit is a complete unit composed of three parts or three functions. And here they are. Your conscience, your fellowship, and your intuition. Your conscience, your fellowship, and your intuition. Now, it's easy to understand the conscience. We are, or at least should be, all familiar with this concept of conscience. To perceive right from wrong is one function of the conscience. To condemn or to justify is another uh, function of your conscience. It's also easy to comprehend fellowship because uh, fellowship really simply means communion with God. So within our spirit, such a function makes it possible for you and I to contact God. In a simple word, fellowship is to touch God. You ought to put that down there in the comment section. My fellowship is to touch God. But it's not very easy to understand intuition. You see, intuition means to have a direct sense or knowledge of something. There's such a direct sense in our spirit regardless of reason, circumstances, or even background. It's a sense then without reason. Intuition is a sense without reason. You ought to put that down. Intuition is my sense without reason. A sense that is not then reasonable. You just feel it. You just know it. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you how. I just know it. It's a direct sense of God, a, a direct knowledge given to you from your fellowship with God. This function is what we call the intuition of the spirit. So the spirit then is known by the functions of the conscience, the fellowship, or the ability to touch God, and your intuition. But these three parts in the human spirit must be validated by scripture. So let me validate what it is I'm teaching you today so that you can say, I didn't just say it, I showed you in the word of God what it is I'm saying. First of all, let's talk about the conscience. The conscience is found in the book of Romans, the ninth chapter in the first verse, where it says, my conscience bearing witness with me in the Holy Spirit. So if we compare Romans 9 and 1 with Romans 8 and 16, the conscience then is located in the human spirit. On one hand, the Holy Spirit witnesses with what? our spirit on the other hand our conscience bears witness in what the holy spirit so this proves that the conscience must be a function of our spirit and not our soul in first corinthians 5 and 3 the apostle paul says that in his spirit he judged a sinful person 
So to judge means either to condemn or to justify. And these are acts of your conscience. But the apostle Paul says that in his spirit, he judged. So this confirms then that the uh, condemning or justifying function is actually in the spirit. So the conscience is found in the spirit. Psalm 51 and 10 uh, speaks of a right spirit within me. Many of us have prayed that prayer. God create a right spirit within me. That is a spirit which is right. Knowing right from wrong is related to your conscience. This uh, verse also proves that the conscience is in the spirit. Psalm 34 and 18 refers to being contrite in spirit. Now, to be contrite means we realize that we are wrong. In other words, we accuse and condemn our own selves, which is a function of your conscience. So a contrite spirit shows that the conscience is related to the spirit of man. Deuteronomy 2 and 30 says, hardened his spirit, which means that the conscience was hardened. So to be hardened in the spirit means to be careless with your conscience. And when we cast off the feeling in the conscience, we become hardened in the spirit. Now, these verses in my studies offer the strongest ground for the fact that the function of the conscience is the indicator of the, of the human spirit. But I encourage you, I've shared them with you. Read them for yourself. Try them for yourself. But let me move right along. Let me, let me show you the scriptural ground for fellowship. Well, first of all, John 4 and 24 tells us that we must worship God in our what? Spirit. Well, to worship God requires worship then in our spirit. To worship God is to contact or what? Touch God and fellowship with God. So this verse proves that the function of worship or of fellowship is in our spirit. In Romans 1 and 9, the apostle Paul says, I serve, he's talking about God, in my spirit. So to serve God is an expression of fellowship with God. So this also proves that the organ for fellowship is not found in the soul, it is found in in our spirit. Romans 7 and 6 has to be added as well. We serve in newness of spirit. So in other words, service then is essentially fellowship with the Lord in our spirit. Service becomes the expression of our touching God in fellowship. God who sent his own son not to be served, but to serve. If you listen to the context of conversation between Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, it was always a reflection of fellowship between them. So let's consider Ephesians 6 and 18, which says, praying at every time in what? Spirit. You see, there is no article before spirit. And I often tell you, you got to look at the way things are written. There's no article before spirit. It's not capitalized, the word spirit. 
So it can't be referencing the Holy Spirit as we understand Scripture in context to how it is written so that it can only mean our human spirit. So to pray means to fellowship with or what? Touch God. To pray in the spirit indicates then that fellowship with God is a matter that is in our spirit. Luke 1 and 47 says, my spirit has exalted uh, in God. So this means that the human spirit has touched or contacted God. Again, fellowship with God is proved as a function of the spirit. Then Romans 8 and 16 says, the spirit himself witnesses with our spirit. So this verse is very clear, but it shows that fellowship with God has to be both in our spirit and in the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 6 and 17 says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So this shows us that real fellowship means that we become one spirit with the Lord. Now, this fellowship is in the spirit. So all of these verses, I find to be sufficient to prove that the function of the fellowship is in our human spirit. Well, then how about intuition? Now, intuition is tough. It's difficult to find the scriptural ground for this function. But there are some verses that I'm going to point to that I'm actually excited to show you because I, didn't, I never thought about them in context to intuition. 1 Corinthians 2 and 11 reveals that the spirit of man can know what the soul cannot. Our spirit can discern what the soul cannot discern. So this proves that something extra is in our spirit. You ought to put down in the comment section, my spirit is extra. Our soul can know things by reason and by circumstantial experiences, but the human spirit can discern things without these proofs. So this direct sense shows that the intuition then is in our spirit. Then there's Mark 2 and 8, which says, knowing fully in his spirit. Mark 8 and 12 says, he groaned deeply in his spirit. John 11 and 33 says that Jesus was moved with indignation in his spirit. So to know, to groan, or to be indignant in our spirit comes from a direct sense of discernment that is not dependent upon reason this is what we call intuition and this is the third function of our spirit now i've given you the scriptural ground for these six parts that we've talked about the three parts of the soul and the three parts of the spirit i encourage you check them check the facts Read the scripture and open your heart to hear what God has to say to you. But I want to talk to you today about the four parts of the heart. Mind, will, emotion, and conscience. 
So what then is the heart? Well, I'm glad that the studio audience remembered to ask me that question. You see, the heart is not a separate part in addition to the soul or in addition, in addition to the spirit, but a composition of all the parts of the soul and the first part of the spirit. Now, remember what I told you the parts of the soul are and the, spot, and the part of the spirit, the first part of the spirit. It includes the mind, the will, and the emotion, plus one part of the spirit, which is the conscience. So man does not have more than three main parts in his whole being. Remember what I showed you. As an image or an expression of God, we are as he is, expressed as a whole in the uh, number three. So as a human being, we have a body, a soul, and spirit. We do not have a fourth and separate part such as the heart. So I know what you're thinking. Some of you, I can hear it in the spirit now. You have this question running around your mind. It's doing laps and you're tired of it. But Bishop, the scripture talks about the heart. So what about that? Well, let me confirm for you that the mind... The first part of the soul is also a manifestation or a part of the heart. Matthew 9 and 4 says, why are you thinking in your heart? So in the heart, one can think. Huh? I thought the heart just beats. But the heart is also a place of thought. And since the thinking processes are in the mind, this proves that the mind is actually part of the heart. Well, Genesis 6 and 5 says this, the thoughts of his what? Heart. The thoughts are something of the mind, but Genesis 6 and 5 mentions the thoughts being something of the heart. So the same then is seen in Hebrews 4 and 12, which speaks of the thoughts of the heart. So these three uh, passages that I've showed you are ample proof that the mind, an organ of the soul, is a part of the heart, a compilation of several things. So I've proved to you the mind. Let me show you some other stuff. Let's talk about the will. The will is revealed in Acts 11 and 23, which speaks of the purpose of heart or purpose in the heart. So purpose is a function of the will. But in Acts, it is something of the heart. This also shows that the will is also a part of the heart. So Hebrews 4 and 12 again speaks of the intentions of the heart. Well, the intentions correspond to purposes which are an act of the will. Again, this shows us that the will is a part of the heart. Now, there are more verses, but these two are good enough for right now. I'm not going to keep throwing scripture at you. But to quote the scriptural standard, just in my own defense, I only need two witnesses anyway. So I'm going to go on because... I've presented my witnesses, so I'm good to go. 
Now, the emotion is found in John 16 and 22, which says your heart will what? Rejoice. So remember what I said to you about emotion. To rejoice is an element or a function of emotions. So here the Lord says that the heart rejoices. So this confirms that the emotion also is a part of the heart. In the same chapter, the Lord said, sorrow has filled your heart in verse six. So heart, sorrow is a function of what? Emotion. So these two verses verify that emotion then is also a part of the heart. So let's look at conscience. Hebrews 10 and 22 says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So we see then that the conscience has much to do with the heart as well. If we're going to have a pure heart, we must have a conscience that is without offense. Our conscience has to be sprinkled in order to have a pure heart as the scripture declares. So without a doubt, the conscience then is a part of the heart. 1 John 3 and 20 says this, our heart blames us. Well, if we look at the word blame, blame is a function of the conscience because it is a judgment. So this verse proves that the conscience is also a part of the heart. So scripturally, I have proven and shown you that all the parts of the soul and the first part of the spirit, the four parts that I'm talking about, the mind, the will, emotion, and conscience put together equal the heart. So when, when you see the heart in scripture, what you're actually seeing is the mind, the will, emotion, and conscience. It is a representation, a manifestation of these parts. Now, I've given you a lot something to think about. So I'm going to stop there before I go too far. Take some time to hear and to see what it is I've showed you today. What God showed me in his word. This is crazy, I know. But like, wow, mind is blown. I get it. But understanding the makeup of how it is we are put together gives you access to understanding how to use the content that is in this vessel. And what is the content that is in this vessel? Well, according to scripture, it is the excellency of the power of God. In other words, it is the manifestation of the fullness of God in us. And this is why the enemy fights us so hard and refuses uh, our every uh, longing to figure out what makes me, me. And the more we think about what makes me, me, you'll find yourself looking at things that are, ex that are external to you 
rather than that which is internal or that which is hidden in you. You see, the enemy wants to divert your attention away from looking where you can find your real answer. People of God, where is the power? Why is church today not like it used to be? For so long, the enemy has robbed us of who we are. You've often heard me talk about and teach about identity, knowing who we are in Christ. And a lot of my teaching previously focused on the external manifestation of who we are in our identity, how to deal with life, how to engage life, how to uh, take you know, who we are according to the word of God and apply it to life itself, whether it be uh, the manifestation of God in and through us to help somebody else or uh, to open up doors of help for ourselves. And that is, that, that's all wonderful and it's all legitimate teaching. No, I'm not going to tell you today that I erred in my teaching like some other people like to say because I didn't. But that teaching was just an open door to the real value, understanding the external expression of our identity helps you to better see the internal representation of that very same identity it's the internal knowledge of my identity in Christ that empowers my external representation of who I am and what I can do according to the power of the treasure of God that is in me for so long we've taken this identity and made it about ourselves what I can accomplish really at the end of the day for me oftentimes some of the things that I do it's about getting that recognition when really at the end of the day absent God I can do nothing so then if it's God the presence, the power, the authority, the grace that is in me because of his indwelling uh, in me, then I have truly done nothing for which to be recognized. I'm nothing without God. And everything I do, I do by the power of God that is within me, so I cannot boast. I'm just a conduit. I'm a vessel that contains God. God makes me look good. Not the things that I do. Not the things that I say. But the things that God does through me. The things that God says through me. It's all about God. People of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about you. The gospel of Jesus Christ really has nothing to do with you. If you follow scripture, this is about the elevation of the son. God didn't say, 
that you know I, we we often like to 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 boast and to brag and to talk about how you know we are in creation God's crowning moment. We we like to put ourselves up there. Now I want you to go to safari and stand in front of a lion and tell a lion that in that moment you are the crowning glory of God and see what the lion has to think about your expression of your glory as being the crown that really the king is not the lion but it is you you might find yourself in a uh, uh, a uh, uh, what do they call it um, a rebellion the lion is probably going to overthrow your kingship But people of God, we have to understand for so long the enemy has had our minds distracted on us. What I can do, what I have accomplished, what I possess. When at the end of the day, the only thing that you can do is what God does through you and everything that you possess is what God has given you. While I'm thankful to God for his grace toward me, I also recognize that that grace is not something that I earned that I should declare or boast about it. But it's because he loves me and he wants me to recognize him in me. So I teach you today so you can begin to see God in you. Have an awesome Sunday and a wonderful week. The spirit of the Lord be with you and keep you. Prosper the work of your hands and open your mind to recognize who he is in you so you can see who you are in him. God bless you.